0: Our series is uh, wrapping up pretty soon, stuck in the same story, breaking free from the difficult and harmful patterns that prevent us from experiencing the fullness of Christ. Today, I, I changed the title, as I said. In, in essence, it's, it's where I was headed with it, but I think I needed to narrow it, and, and I I'm excited for what the Lord has, has shown me here about being set free from your own prison. If we're stuck in our lives, we have to get back to the roots of it. We have to see what is causing it. It may not be the, the obvious, or as, as, as counselors would say, it may not be the presenting issue. There is quite often something behind it. Underneath it lies deeper. And with many people... This issue that I'm going to speak about today um, lies at the roots of a lot of our troubles. And um, this, this prison that we create for ourselves because of one word, unforgiveness. Nelson Mandela said, hating someone is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. Very insightful from, from a man who knew what hate was, but didn't react with hate. The prison of unforgiveness is the only prison that the inmate holds the key, but refuses to leave. This is the prison I want to talk about today. And um, I, I think about prisons in scripture in, in the sense of so many characters from the scripture experienced Life in prison, uh, at least briefly. Even Jesus, when he was arrested before he was taken to the cross, was, was imprisoned for, for a time. And then others like John the Baptist and um, Joseph of the Old Testament, um, Daniel, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all know what prison life is, and yet it runs much deeper than the physical bars and gates and guards that would be associated to this day with prison life. We can be imprisoned by our own decisions. We can be imprisoned by patterns in our lives. And and one of the deepest and darkest prisons we can find ourselves in is when we choose the path of unforgiveness. There's a Christian counselor named Amanda Rowett. I discovered an a, a online article that she wrote called The Prison of Unforgiveness. And in that article, she says this. Unforgiveness takes up a lot of mental space. You replay the unfair situation over and over again, like an old movie reel. You analyze each clip of the injustice. You may create speeches in your mind detailing what you will say in a confrontation with the offender. Perhaps you daydream about how to get even. When we ruminate on offense, a snowball effect occurs. Not only do we dwell on the current offense, but we also start to unearth and review negative life experiences in the past we start to feel trapped and consumed by our own negative thoughts, unable to get away from them. End quote. In other words, we're imprisoned. Jesus told a parable, and this is where I'm going to spend most of our time today, in the 18th chapter of Matthew, about this connection between unforgiveness, and prison. So, so turn to your Bibles or, you know, pull it up on your app if you have that. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18, beginning at 21. And I'm going to read this, and as, as we should always do when we go to the Scriptures, listen as if you've never heard it before. Try your best to listen afresh. This isn't one of the most well-known or frequently read or preached on parable, so it might be a little newer in that sense. But even if you have heard it and know it well, set that aside for a moment and, and, and listen to what Jesus is saying here. And then we're going to come back and talk about this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. There's a lot of questions that emerge from this story. And the first question is this. As we read through scriptures, usually before a parable and other times when Jesus is making a concluding point or summary, or the Apostle Paul uses this word quite a bit too, when when he is summarizing. He's saying, here's kind of the bottom line. He uses that word, therefore. Therefore. And as you may have heard me or other, other teachers say, or maybe said yourself, when you see the word therefore, look what it's there for. It is a pause. It is saying that something has led up to this, or there's a reason that he's saying this now. So the therefore here, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like, this story that Jesus goes into, is all based on the question that Peter asked about forgiveness. So the entire context of this parable, this fictional story, is based upon forgiveness and how far forgiveness should go. Peter, being a good Jewish boy, knew that according to the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 19.15, you are responsible to forgive someone their dead up to seven times. The eighth time, you're off the hook. You know, we've cut it back. I, I think our culture now uses the baseball rule. Three strikes and you're out, okay? And so, so we have less patience than they did then, generally speaking. That's the way most people are. And yet, Jesus is pushing it much further than that. Depending on how the, the translation comes out, he either says 77 times or 70 times 7, a lot of them say. But the point is, he's trying to make is, perhaps it's bigger than that perhaps it's indefinite so when you enter into this story this parable we have to do exactly what we do when we sit down to watch a movie that is if you like the kinds of movies that i like okay now i, now I do like historical documentation of stuff and I like good well-done stories that tell history and hopefully are telling it very accurately but I also enjoy the fantasy genre I like to be taken to middle earth or to Narnia and and and, you know see what the characters are going to do and how they respond I like watching the superheroes, not as much as the fantasy, but that is the most popular genre right now for the last decade or more, all the superhero films. And so whenever you sit down to watch such a movie, you willingly suspend reality. Of course, I know Superman can't fly, but let's see how he manages this situation. Let's hope that, that Good wins the day and, and that, that justice happens and that the evil people are, are captured or destroyed. And, and, and that's what we're looking for. That's why we watch those movies because where there's an expectation that something good is going to happen in the end. Simply put, there will be some kind of a happy ending or an inspiring moment or something like that, it's, which is why we go back. It's no different here. Jesus is using storytelling techniques that movie makers, who often refer to themselves as storytellers, are doing. So when Jesus tells this story, he is asking his audience to suspend reality. He is using hyperbole, exaggeration in the story to make a point. And I know this because when you go to the 24th verse, You see that the the servant owed his master 10,000 bags of gold. What master would loan a servant 10,000 bags of gold? What would a servant do with 10,000 bags? So don't get caught up so much in the amount itself and what 10,000 bags of gold was worth then, or let alone what it's worth today the footnote in the NIV says this. Greek 10,000 talents, a talent was worth about 20 years of labor's wages. 20 years times 10,000. Wow, that's a lot of gold. (laughs) So Jesus isn't saying it was a specific amount, but he was making a point is there's no possible way that this man could, could repay this debt. Another thing about the word 10,000. Today, when we want to say something in an exaggeration, uh, use exaggeration or hyperbole when we're talking with someone, usually in jest or even in fun, wow, I had to go down to, the, to PennDOT today about my license. I, I sat there for a million years. And of course, we're not believing you. It was really a million years. It wasn't even a million minutes or a million seconds, but it felt really long. You get the point. So 10,000 had the same effect in in New Testament culture. When you say 10,000, it was, oh, wow, you mean bigger than you can count a really large amount, larger than you can possibly pay back. That's the amount that this man owed somehow. And then as as punishment for that, you see that this man's wife and children could be sold. Now, why would that say that in the story? That's a horrible thing to think about. What's the context of the story? Forgiveness. When someone refuses to forgive, it can cost them everything including their spouse, their marriage. How many marriages have been destroyed and fallen apart because of an unforgiveness issue somewhere in the equation? And it's always more complex than that. It's usually not one thing, but that certainly is a factor, maybe the biggest factor. How many times are people estranged from their own children because of an unforgiveness issue so so in the story it sounds really really harsh and and shrewd that this this king would take this man's children and wife and have them thrown in jail and yet in the context of forgiveness that's basically the path we're headed on If we don't stop, if we stay in that prison, because we not only imprison ourselves, we imprison those that we love in the pattern of unforgiveness. Verse 26, the man promises, I'll pay everything back. (laughs) No, wait a minute. 10,000 bags of gold and you don't have it. By the way, what did you do with it? Where's the palace? Where's the island that you bought? You know, what happened? It's gone. How could he do that? He can't. Sometimes when we're negotiating in our mind and our heart with God and even with others, maybe not verbally, but our, our thoughts can lead this direction. I'll make it up. I'll, I'll get it right. It, I'm going to handle this. And I'm going to pay back equal for what I've de- done. Or, and, and sometimes, in, in very specific ways, that's, that's necessary, even appropriate. If there's a legal matter sometimes, there's, there's money to be, to be put back in place. And so those are necessary, but we can't repay everything. I'll just speak for myself. If I start going back the list of all the wrong things that Paul Miller has done in his 62, almost 63 years of life, where do I begin? Like, how many things have I left unsaid, undone, should have done this, broken that, hurt this person, had that person, and, and, and haven't, you know, completely made it right, you know, that like it's up to me to fix all of that. I can't. For one thing, a lot of the people that, 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 that I've hurt or that have hurt me aren't here anymore. And, and so you can see when, when you start to consider all that you would have to do to try to, of yourself, undo or fix whatever problem is there that you made or the problem someone made in your life and you know, you're you going to try and fix that too, it's impossible. It's like 10,000 bags of gold. You can't do that. Neither could the man in this parable repay it. It's, he's promising. But he's begging, he's pleading, the king has mercy on him, it says in verse... And, and so... He canceled the debt. Verse 27. He canceled the debt. Canceled it. Gone. It was an unimaginable amount that you can't possibly pay back. And now it's gone. I don't really want to spend a lot of time thinking about all of my sin and how big that is. Debt is, or how large that ugly pile is. And I think I have to, I remember it only enough to be reminded of God's grace. I remember it only enough to say, Yeah, I don't want to go back there again. I remember it enough to say, Well, I don't want to see someone else go where I went. Maybe they can learn from me. But, but I, I don't hold on to it and try and pay it back. I also don't hold on to it to beat myself down and, you know, poor pitiful woe is me. I'm no good and get, you know, get depressed, which is another, another prison. God in Christ has taken your pile, my pile, and said, it's canceled. That's what Jesus did on the cross. It's canceled. It's gone. You can have numerous people in your life, and perhaps you have some people in your life that do exactly this, remind you of all your failures habitually. Bring things up that you feel bad about, and, 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 and maybe you've asked for forgiveness and you've done that, but they, they keep bringing it up. God doesn't do that. When He says our debt is canceled, He means it. It's up for us to believe that awesome truth that, that my 10,000 bags of gold that ugly sin, that ugly debt is erased, is removed, it's done. And that's why we we kind of have to hold in balance. We don't wallow in our sin and, and, and allow us to drag into darkness and depression or that place of, of, of blame and anger toward others to, to cast it upon them somehow. We don't want to stay there, but we also don't say... Oh, I'm forgiven, it never mattered. Oh, it's all done, Jesus forgave me, don't talk about it again. We need a balance of both. That's why today, as we come to the altar, we have something that uses memory. We remember Jesus. We remember his suffering. We remember his shed blood. We remember his death. His burial. We remember the sadness. We remember how how His followers must have felt in those dark hours between the moment He died on Friday night and that glorious moment that He rose again on Sunday. We have to remember the darkness just enough to remember the power of the glory the power of love, the power of forgiveness that was granted to you and I and the only way that we can access that is through faith in the one that God sent and that is Jesus. So the story continues and the man forgiven of that incredible countless debt turns around and acts in a very unforgiving manner an immeasurable amount of money compared to a hundred silver coins, which might also be footnoted in your Bible, a day's wages. One day's wages. I don't know how much money that is to you. But, you know, it's significant. I put my hours in today. I, I want that. And if someone takes it from you, you would certainly have a right to, to take them to court. It's not like it's, you know... A buck. <laughs> and so this man, in, in, again, in the context of the story, the parable, had the right to take his own fellow servant to a judge and have his fellow servant put into a prison. So then when the master hears about it, what does he do? He's angry. And it says in the 34th verse, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now here too, remember the context. It is a parable that's making a point about forgiveness. It's not an open door. To say, see, God believes in torture. So, in certain situations, it's okay to use torture. No. It is a warning to us what unforgiveness does to your heart, to your life, to your soul. Unforgiveness unchecked by the grace of God takes you into a tortured existence. It takes you into a prison of your own choosing because the forgiveness of God was available to you and is available and and the way to forgive others is the same way He forgave you. Unconditionally. And when you withhold that, you live a tortured existence. It's like, it's like the, the decision comes with its own consequence, with its own punishment. God doesn't have to you know, come in and torture you. I'm, I'm going to bring pain upon you until you get this right. Uh, that's, not, that's not God. So then at the end of the, these verses, it says this. The king sent the man away to prison to be tortured until he paid the entire debt. That's what my Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. If you refuse to forgive from your heart. That last, those last three words are vital in Forgiveness that is the heart of forgiveness because forgiveness more than anything else is a heart issue and the reason that it has to come from the heart it has to begin from the heart and and that is really what god sees you you can how many of us as parents of you know you have more than one child and One hurts the other. And you say, now you have to go and say you're sorry to your brother or your sister. And you kind of get this, "Mm, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Okay. Now, don't we all feel better? (laughs) Maybe mom and dad feel a little bit better. I don't know. Did real heartfelt forgiveness happen in that moment? Eh, I don't know. God sees it. But one of the reasons this is so important is, You can forgive anyone from the heart. You can forgive the person that is no longer alive from your heart. You can forgive the person that you don't have access to see them, even if you wanted to go see them, or you don't know where they are, or perhaps even worse than that, you shouldn't see them. In abusive situations, going to that person would not be a wise thing. Forgiveness doesn't mean we open up the door for people to walk all over us again. We open up the door for people to abuse us again. It doesn't mean that what they did doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that what they did shouldn't have consequences, even legal consequences, if the offense is bad enough. All of that is still true. But forgiveness from the heart says, I am not going to hold you in contempt any longer. I am not going to give you the key anymore to lock me in to this prison of unforgiveness. I am going to be set free from this. And whether that's something you're able or willing or should say to a person, and sometimes that is necessary and can and should happen, but other times not. But if you forgive from your heart the way Jesus teaches from this parable, that's what he wants. That's what he said, the reading that I asked Arlene to to begin today with from The Lord's Prayer from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer and those brief comments Jesus makes on that prayer. And I know I said this before, that of all the things he could have re-emphasized from that beautiful and important prayer, the one thing he came back to was forgiveness. And if you do not forgive, then your Father doesn't forgive you, you withhold it. You don't grow. You put yourself in prison. But you've locked it from the inside. You can go and unlock that and walk back out. So then my question for us today is, what keeps us from forgiving? Is it, is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it pride? Is it fear? It could be other things. What, what is the obstacle for you for the kind of forgiveness that Jesus teaches in this parable, those last three words, from your heart. That is always possible, always. What you do from there depends on the person, the situation, the circumstances, all kinds of other things. But from your heart is the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, that's kind of small. Ephesians chapter 4, we read this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Now let me pause there. This is not unlike many other scriptures you could read from Paul about the kind of the list of things that we have to guard against and, and, and take out of our lives, put on the new self, right? So it's easy to read that and say, all right, Paul, I get it. I, sh- I shouldn't get angry and you know, say nasty things to people and slander and malice and all of that. I-, I understand. Well, how do I do that? Well, he tells us the next line. Instead, be kind. Let me pause right there. Be kind. The first step in overcoming the obstacles to forgiveness, whether it's bitterness or rage or anger or anything else, fear, the first step is kindness. But that person, uh, I went to them and, and they're still angry at me and they made it worse. Yep, be kind. But God, you don't understand. Did you see what they've done? Yep. Be kind. But God, do you know how hard this is? Yes, I do. Be kind. Kindness is... It, it's sad to see how it's slipping away, isn't it? I mean, kind of culturally, that, that, we, that we are accepting that it's okay to be Unkind. I mean, I suppose this has been true for a long time to some extent or the other, but um, I I would really be refreshed if I saw a a political ad that had kindness in it. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if a political, running for whatever office, from whatever their party, would say, all right, here's here's, uh, what I hope to accomplish in my office if you elect me, and I appreciate your support. Um, My opponent doesn't agree with this and that, and they have another idea, but, you know, I'm going to respect them, and um, let's be kind to each other. Get out and vote. All the political gurus would say, that's political suicide, you won't win, and maybe that's true, I don't know. But kindness is a lost art. And when we... Enter into kindness. And and by the way, don't wait until you feel like it, okay? Start by trying. Be kind, be kind, be kind. And just just like Brian, showing kindness to Carol and get her a drink of water. Thank you, Brian. (laughs) Those little things matter. And as you do that, what do people normally do most of the time? They say, thank you. They express thanks back to you, perhaps kindness back to you. Whether it's a friend, a family member, or a total stranger, most people, most of the time, will appreciate it. You know what that does to your heart? It softens when, when it. When you live and act kindly, persistently kind, it helps you to become tender-hearted. The next word. And when we are tender-hearted, our heart is ready to do the heart's most important work, and that is to forgive, as Christ has forgiven us. So that's my prayer for you, and in closing another word, passage from Paul in Galatians 5: "For you have been called to live in freedom." my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Set us free, Lord. In fact, remind us of the fact that we have been set free. And it's we who lock the door behind us from the inside. Give us the courage, Lord God, to forgive and to find that path to forgive from the heart. And then beyond that, lead us to whatever we need to do or not do, but from the heart is what matters most so we can step out of that prison. In your name I pray. Amen.